Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets are trading higher this morning. The Nikkei in Tokyo is up more than 1%. Seoul is trading two-thirds of a percent higher. Sydney in the green as well. The gains follow a rally on Wall Street on Friday. Joining me now to break down all the market action. How are you doing, Ryan Huang? How's the weekend? It was fantastic. How's your weekend, Michelle? It's good to hear. It was really cold. It was Uh, cold, rainy, and I think it's going to stay this way for the near future. I know. It feels like we've entered, you know, autumn or fall or something like that. But it was really eventful. Spent time with friends. Went for a walk in the uh, reservoir. It was really pretty. Pretty weekend. All right. Let's start this week with U.S. markets trading near record highs following a rally on Friday. But one of Asia's biggest markets is now officially in bear market territory. Mm. So Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index has dropped more than 20% from its February highs following a sell-off in Chinese tech shares and regulatory crackdowns by Beijing on other sectors as well. The Hang Seng Index suffered its biggest slump last week in more than four months. So I've heard many investors are having trouble deciding what is fair value for Hong Kong's China shares amidst Beijing's crackdown. They're just not sure what earning multiples to apply anymore. So how is this playing out? Yeah, it's tough to figure out Chinese markets these days with what's going on with the crackdown. So let's talk about what's happening in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And like you pointed out, it is in bear market territory. So it's down by nearly more than 20% since its peak back in February. So a big change in six months. And on Friday, it was down 1.8%, bringing it into that bear market territory. So that extended last week's loss to nearly 5.8%. And a couple of familiar names um, really dragging it down. Mm. Alibaba Group, one of them. Meituan Dumpling is another one, the online food delivery service. So these big tech names, giant startups, are all really under the crosshairs of regulators these days. You know, things for data privacy, fair competition in online space. So a lot of rules have been implemented or at least being proposed for now to be brought forward to be something that could change the business models or hit their bottom lines to some extent. So the big question is how much more to go? And that is a very tough question to answer or get clarity around. We do have some broad guidelines. There is a blueprint that the Chinese regulators have laid out in terms of what they hope to achieve, but how they plan to do it exactly, uh, that is something we will have to see in terms of exact details. Yeah, we knew the regulations would lend a hit to the markets, but how far the ripples would extend is a question. So the South China Morning Post is quoting another research analyst as saying, investors just don't know where the bottom of the market is. Interestingly, we saw China Telecom list in Shanghai on Friday. The company also traded in Hong Kong. Kong, but even though it's the same company, China Telecom shares perform very differently in both markets. Fill us in. Yeah, so I guess it's a tale of two markets, right? In Shanghai, mm. it's pretty much retail-driven by Chinese retailers. Uh, whereas in Hong Kong, you have a bit more exposure to other pockets of the retailer population. So a bit of different sentiment. And maybe in China, where you have the Chinese retailers a bit more bullish on the prospects of 5G mm-hmm. and where that is headed. And of course, China Telecom Telecom is you know, state-backed at least. So you do have those fundamentals in play, um, not as much 
driven by the sentiment affecting what's happening in Hong Kong. So that is racing is starting to do well, at least in Shanghai. So that was up nearly 35% over its IPO price on day one. So a huge day one pop. The China Telecom listing in Shanghai follows the company's delisting from the New York Stock Exchange earlier this year. Is this another sign, Ryan, of decoupling of the US and China markets? You could argue that way because you have a lot of pressure on Chinese companies, and not just from the US, but also in China for listing overseas. So that is all part of the mix now when Chinese companies think about overseas listings. And I think it does add more fuel to this fire of you know, um, Chinese companies going back home to just hedge their bets or hedge their risks when it comes to um, capital markets because rules can change very fast, as mm. you've seen. Mm-hmm. And to be near a home where your investor crowd is more familiar with the name and also where you have the government backing, that is something I think will be very high on the list of considerations when companies think about capital raising. One more note about China before we move on. Beijing has a new catchphrase to guide its economic policy. The term is cross-cyclical. It's a departure from the counter-cyclical approach that most central banks apply. What's the reasoning? What does cross-cyclical mean? Yeah, I love it when people make up new words. Cross-cyclical. Okay, well, we are familiar or more familiar with the more popular counter-cyclical, which is when, like the name suggests, you go against the cycle by doing something, hmm. which is, for example, if your economy is slowing down, then your government might want to introduce something to turn it around, like cut your interest rates or raise taxes or just boost spending, infrastructure, investments, that sort of thing. So when you think about cross-cyclical, maybe there isn't a real definition yet because I think someone just invented the, the word. So <laughs> in terms of what they might mean, I think you can take away from some of the things that have already been rolled out. And that includes how China has been more targeted with the policies they've been doing. For example, even though they have um, cut their reserve requirement ratio for banks, which is to allow banks to reallocate capital to lend, it's not happening in the property sector because they have tightened property restrictions. So on one hand, you've got them being more accommodative on lending money in some sectors. But in the property sector, they have their eye on prices there and are tightening their grip on it. So it is a bit more targeted. So I think that's what I mean by cross-cyclical. It is um, something they view um, their policies working across different industries in different ways. So a bit more calibrated in that sense. Taking action sooner in smaller steps, a uh, longer time frame in mind. We'll keep an eye out on this evolving made-up term for you. So what do you think Beijing's new approach is going to mean for investors? Yeah, like you pointed out, you can expect smaller adjustments, a bit more preemptive because I think the Chinese government has the data ahead of everyone else so they know mm. uh, what they can do or need to do before it actually is made public. You also have like pointed out a longer time horizon. So these things can last a long time when you think about policies uh, being implemented, tightened property restrictions mm. or crackdown on companies mm-hmm. for data privacy. So another area that has been under increasing focus has been debt control uh, to stem financial risks in the system. So that is possibly one focus as well because uh, it can have ripple effects. Uh, I think pretty much that sums it up. A bit of a more calibrated, agile approach uh, because 
in the recent landscape, we've seen how things can happen so fast. Mm-hmm. You need to be very agile to be able to put in policies that are not blunt, but very targeted. If we look at the broader markets, Ryan, investors are going to be focused on Jackson Hole, Wyoming this week for the US Federal Reserve's annual meeting. Uh, the Fed just announced that the meeting is going to be virtual because of COVID-19, but investors will still associate it with that beautiful mountain town at the base of uh, Grand Tetons, and they'll be looking for clues about the timing, of course, when the Fed may start tightening monetary policy. Uh, what else will be on investors' radars this week? Yeah, maybe the wallpaper of the Zoom call will have those mountains at a backdrop. But that. it is online. Uh, but I'm not sure how much that will change the conversation because in the past few weeks, we've heard from the Fed officials, many of them saying, hey, it's time to taper mm-hmm. because we've got encouraging data on the jobs front, on the inflation front. By most accounts, it seems like it's good to go for tapering. But of course, the big question mark is the COVID-19 Delta variant, how much of that is turning things around? And we've seen that happen in some countries going back into lockdown, for example, Australia. In fact, New Zealand was supposed to raise rates last week, but had to change its mind because of the Delta variant just turning the outlook a bit more cautious. And so back to the Fed again, you've got that um, on the radar. And going into the Jackson Hole Symposium, you do have a couple of PMI readings, flash PMI and core CPI, Consumer Price Index readings, going into the meeting. So that, if maybe there are a few surprises, could change the complexion of things. So that's one thing to look out for this week. Um, Also to look out for this week, a couple of earnings from Xiaomi on Wednesday. That will give an indication of how well it's doing against Huawei, which it overtook recently. Uh, you've also got Kuaishou, that is the TikTok competitor. They will be releasing their earnings as well. And of course, with the backdrop of the crackdown on Chinese firms, they will be watched for what they might uh, guide for in the quarters to come. And on Thursday, we have earnings from Qantas. That is the Australian airline, and it will be a bit of a bellwether for other airlines in terms of impact from COVID-19 border closures in the past months at least, and what they are guiding for in terms of border reopenings. So that's uh, what's on my radar this week. All right, time for a quick Monday morning game. It's time for Up or Down. I've got some tricky ones today. Are you ready, Ryan? Let's go. Let's start with the Black Widow. All right, Black Widow in the black by $125 million for online revenue. So those complaints by Scarlett Johansson about the simultaneous screening of um, in the cinema and online, she was complaining because... Affected her takings. Yes, box office takings. But, uh, well, going by this, it seems like the pie is big enough for everyone. Well, Scarlett Johansson still suing Disney over the online release. She argues she's being cheated out of the proceeds from the movie rights, a big part of her contract. But Disney says the online release generated $125 million US dollars in revenue, and that's the best-performing Marvel movie of all time. So it could be an up for Black Widow, but possibly a down for Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit. All right, next, I think uh, this is going up primarily because I'm shopping there all the time. Marks and Spencer. <laughs> what do you buy at Marks and Spencer? Oh my God, the soups, the cakes, the pastries. All right, all right, I get your point. So maybe that's why it's doing so well these days. So. A jump in demand. 
for food and a surge in online clothes orders. That is part of the reason why it's been doing so well in its recent quarter. So much so that it has upgraded its profit outlook for the next few quarters. So that has seen its stock price respond quite well. 12% up in response to the outlook uh, upgrade. So it's an up for me. Don't remember your Christmas present from me came from ah, Marks and Spencer. That's right. Yeah. It's a sign that retail sales are on the rise, not just in the US, but in other markets as well. So Marks and Spencer has issued a profits upgrade. Its shares jumped 11% on the news in UK trading. All right, next, let's look at Bitcoin. All right, Bitcoin is an up for me. Definitely. And that's because prices have continued to rebound. Mm. And this is now pushing near $50,000. So quite a bit of a turnaround after slumping to between thirty and 40000 in the past few months. Of course, the peak was back mid-April at $65,000. dollars mm. So fingers crossed for Bitcoin holders that it is well going back up again and maybe back down again. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Definitely up for now though. Bitcoin rallying after a sluggish couple of months. Its price approaching fifty thousand US dollars a token. And in other Bitcoin news, PayPal is launching a crypto service in the UK. It's the first time that it's doing so outside mm. the US. So the service will allow PayPal users to buy, hold, and sell digital currencies with as little as one pound. All right. Let's bring the conversation home to Singapore now. An article in the Business Times caught my eye over the weekend. It touts a major change for many F&B companies. The end of the buffet line. Is this really happening? I went out to lunch yesterday. I enjoyed an a la carte buffet off the menu, fish head curry and all the accoutrements. Uh, but is the traditional buffet line, which has been a staple for so many restaurants in Singapore, really over? <laughs> well, that could be the case if you look at what's been happening in the news. You've got Soul Garden, that brand that many of us grew up with, you know, um, because it was pretty much the OG when it came to being the first to pioneer the concept back in, well, 38 years ago. That's um, school days for many of us. Mm. So that familiar long line of meats and vegetables, that could be a thing of the past because according to Soul Garden at least, Mm. it is just not making business sense anymore because they feel there is, on one hand, a lot of wastage because... Uh, as typical of a buffet, people just take more than they need. Mm-hmm. And it's also not green in the sense that it's not sustainable for the environment because of the wastage. And also something they pointed out, COVID-19. That is a reason due to safety measures because of the exposed nature of the food you know, and the recent um, scrutiny or at least a focus on more safer or cleaner eating practices. Like you pointed out, some of the buffets have pivoted to a la carte types of buffets. So it's not exposed, it's brought from the kitchen. Mm. But at the same time, I think they're feeling the pressure from the entire buffet business model that maybe it's time for a new change. I'm not sure if that will work out, but um, we'll see. For Soul Garden. Yeah, I haven't been to Soul Garden since I was 20, I think, or 19. Um, it looks like F&B players have to retool the, the approach to to buffets for sure. I mean, have you been to an a la carte buffet recently? Yes. And Still this the same was feel. You just share year. amongst like five of y'all. Yes and no because I noticed that the menu shrinks mm. when it comes to the, the buffet items now because um, they just don't have the economies of skill as before. Not as many people going to buffets these days. Mm-hmm. So they try to economize or optimize the menu and that means fewer items on selection and 
to some extent, it doesn't taste as good when you as can... As when you're helping yourself. Helping yourself to what you want, as much as you want. <laughs> Sometimes I really don't want that much, but they give me the same size serving as the, the, guy, you know, the guy next door. So uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, that fun factor it's is experience. It's still there somewhat. I mean, if you go for an a la carte buffet, I chose from about 100 menus, 100 items on the menu. That was more than I could read at one stretch. So that was enough for me. Now, another news, Minister for Transport S. Iswaran gave an interview to Bloomberg over the weekend and he signaled that the border opening with Germany and Brunei next month is just the beginning. Did he share any details about uh, when further quarantine-free travel lanes may open? Well, the short answer is no. <laughs> Otherwise, we have heard it in the news. So he was um, talking about how, of course, um, just to recap, Germany and Brunei uh, will be able to have visitors come to Singapore without having to go through the stay-at-home or quarantine period. So effectively, this means Germany mm. um, is the first somewhat of a travel bubble. Um, so just for context, they already accept visitors going into Germany without having to quarantine. So now, in the other direction, that is also the same case now. So going into what we can expect in the coming, I guess, options, uh, Minister Iswaran said this is a signal for how Singapore is going to reopen. So a bit of optimism that we could see more arrangements with more countries. But with the recent cases of Delta variant really going up, it is hard to see that happening anytime soon. But fingers crossed, um, as more people get vaccinated, as more countries also manage the problem better, we can get there. Any indications of, you know, when you get to Germany and then there's all of EU at your disposal, uh-huh. I mean, what do you do there? I mean, can you cross borders then? Go from Germany to yeah, France? Yeah, and- that's right. So if you go into the EU, mm. as before COVID, you would be able to travel cross-border without having to stamp your passport yeah. and all that. So that was one of the questions that came out. You know, how do you enforce this type of um, situation where you might get a traveler going around Europe? when they enter Germany and then coming back to Singapore. So essentially, the short answer is it's based on declaration. So it's going to be based on trust. Of course, if they do declarations. So if they do catch you, self-declarations, if they do catch you, you're in trouble. So I guess it's also similar to how they make you declare if you're carrying a certain amount of cash or currency or anything you're doing Mm, wrong, right? mm, mm, mm. You have to declare it. But there's no paper trail. There is no paper trail per Mm. se. Mm. Uh, But of course, um, different uh, European countries, because of COVID-19, you do have, uh, I think, some form of declaration that you have to make Mm -hmm. when you cross borders, but it probably is not reflected in your passport per se. So Mm. you do have some paperwork, but not captured in the usual formats when you travel. Yeah, interesting point for travellers. All right, let's take a look at markets now. 25 minutes into the local trading day, 9.25. The Straits Times Index fell nearly 2% last week, though it rallied on Friday. So how's the STI trading this morning? Yeah, it was a down week overall, down 2% for the STI, even though Friday was pretty okay. So right now, starting Friday, extending those gains is up by 0.1%, 3,106. And a quick check-in on the snapshot of the STI, pretty much split across the middle. Uh, Right at the top, we've got Yangjijang Shipbuilding up 1.4%. And SIA is up 0.8%, so maybe up on the news around more border reopening. Uh, measures to come possibly and also the banks are in the green that by OCBC and that is now up by 0.6% alongside UOB uh, also up by 0.6% actually DBS is also up by 0.6% okay let's look at the bottom of the table uh, you've got SGX down by over 
4%. And that is now trading at 10.30. Gunting Singapore is down by 1.2%. So a rather mixed picture across the STI. So something to track as we head into the Jackson Hole Symposium. Indeed. Thanks very much, Ryan. Asia-Pacific markets higher this morning. We'll keep a lookout for you how Seoul, Sydney is trading and Nikkei in Tokyo in just a while. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation and risk tolerance.